It's the Americhicks with Kim Munson, the most important story. The Washington Times said the patriotic Americans donated U.S. flags after protesters raised the Mexican flag over the ICE facility. The latest in politics and world affairs. It is not fair that, that people come in illegally and they have three square meals a day, TVs and all. There's something that is wrong with this picture. And opinions and ideas that prepare you to tackle the day ahead. When we get into conversations with people, you can get real bombastic with each other because you haven't read it. You don't know what you're talking about. It's the Americhicks dissecting issues as right versus wrong instead of right versus left. So if you understand the issue, then you can have calm, reasonable conversations. Agree or disagree, let's have a conversation. Indeed, let's have a conversation. I'm Kim Munson, and it is Friday. Producer Steve, are you excited about that? No, because it's Thursday. Oh, gosh. (laughs) I guess I'm getting ahead of myself, aren't I? I guess I'm looking forward to Friday. (laughs) Okay. Oh, my my gosh. So how are you this Thursday morning, Steve? Yeah, let's start over here. Good morning. Good Thursday morning. Good morning. morning. Happy Thursday to you. So, hey, we've got a great show planned for you today. I guess I was looking forward to Friday. It's been been a great week. So uh, today we're... I might have Go led ahead. you astray, but that previous conversation about what's going to happen on Friday. Aha. Uh-huh. So, we have a surprise happening for everybody next Monday. Yeah. And so you'll want to be sure and tune in for that. You can hang and, that on uh, me. So yeah. I'll hang that on you. It's your fault. Yes, I'm not going to be responsible for that. So, hey, Producer Steve, but thank you. Um, great, great show planned for you today. Karen Levine will be in studio and uh, in the second segment, we'll be talking about the, what's going on with the Denver real estate market. As you may remember, Karen Levine, she is a valued partner of mine, as well as she's an award-winning realtor with uh, REMAX Alliance, been in the business for a long time. And uh, so we'll talk with her about what's going on in the Denver real estate market. And then in the third and fourth segment, Karen And I will talk with Randall O'Toole, and you know him. He's with the Cato Institute, also with the Independence Institute. He's an expert on urban planning, transportation, and housing. And three questions that we wanted to talk with him about is to address urban sprawl, to talk about uh, the haves and the have-nots regarding housing, and is there a difference between affordable housing and housing that is affordable? And so it promises to be a very important conversation And as we look at all of these things, we look at them as freedom versus force, force versus freedom. Ultimately, socialism comes down to force. And Steve, when we look at these headlines for today, we can see that uh, here in Colorado, we are seeing a lot of force coming down, a lot of mandates, uh, a lot of taking our tax money and using it for things that uh, I don't think everyday uh, people think that it should be used for. And so we'll talk a little bit about that. Before we do that, though, uh, because we're talking about housing today, I've got some housing quotes, and uh, there was a very good one from T.S. Eliot. Uh, Thomas Stearns Eliot was one of the 20th century's major poets. He was also an essayist, a publisher, playwright, and literary and social critic. He was born in St. Louis, Missouri, to a prominent Boston Brahmin family, and he moved to England in 1914 at the age of 25 and would settle, work, and marry there. And so this is the inspirational quote for today. He said, to do the useful thing, to say the courageous thing, to contemplate the beautiful thing, 
That is enough for one man's life. You do that every day, you're going to be a very busy person, Producer Steve. I love some of the quotes <laughs> that you bring to us because they're, and especially when they're maybe already you know, from another millennium, but yet they're so applicable to today. You know, one of the reasons that we do that I do this is is just a little uh, snippet of history, because I think that we have kind of forgotten all of that. And so I hope that they're inspirational and I hope it's a little snippet of history sometimes. And Steve, thank you to you and Zach, Patty, Keith and Charlie for your good work. Thank you to you listeners out there. You are treasured, you're valued, you have a purpose today. So go out there, strive for excellence and take care of your heart, soul, mind and body. And uh, so let's jump in here to a, uh, let's see, let's do our funny. How is that? In honor of Karen uh, being in studio here, I thought this was a great one. A real estate agent had difficulty getting a listing from a customer whose theory was that there is no substitute for experience. After he asked her a third time how many years she'd been in the business, she told him, sir, there is a little known historical fact that Moses brought three tablets down from the mountainside. Two were the Ten Commandments, and the other was my real estate license. And with that, she got the listing. Okay. And, uh, <laughs> Actually, that's, that's pretty good. Okay. I'm, I'm glad you approve. A uh, couple of things, though. I wanted to let you know that tonight, Thursday, uh, Lauren Levy, who is a new partner of mine, he's with Polygon Financial. He's an expert in mortgages and reverse mortgages. He is doing a nuts and bolts workshop. And in tonight, 630 uh, Thursday, out at the Pace Center in Parker, and then on Saturday morning at 10 o'clock as well. And uh, reverse mortgages are for people that are 62 and older. It can be a good financial tool, but it's very important to understand the nuances of all that. So Lauren Levy can explain that. So that would be tonight at 6.30 or Saturday morning at 10 out at the Pace Center. And uh, you can go to chickspresidential.com. That's chickspresidential.com and look for classes and you can sign up there. And then also Jason McBride will be doing a social security workshop on October 1st. And again, you can go to chickspresidential.com and sign up there. Uh, I think there's so many questions that people have regarding social security and Jason is an expert in that. And so would recommend that as well. And then lastly, on Sunday night, the 29th, Vino and Veritas in Castle Rock, we do have some seats available. Dr. Cranawitter, you know, we're going through the Federalist Papers, and Dr. Cranawitter is going to address what the founders did about slavery. And with uh, with the new narrative that's coming out with the New York Times, there's projects, their 1619 project, to try to bring back this whole slavery and guilt thing, and that it was the Americans that were the big bad uh, wolves on this whole thing. In fact, slavery was foisted upon us. There was slavery, slavery was prevalent throughout the world. And so uh, Dr. Cranwitter does not sugarcoat it, but he talks about it honestly. And I would highly re- recommend that you attend. So go to uh, my website, americhicks.com. You can sign up there for more information. And uh, Steve, let's jump in here. Patty has put together, I mean, this is like unbelievable. We are in a Monty Python movie here in Colorado now, and we're going to see how radical progressives can take a very successful economy and run it into the ground. 
by excessive uh, taxation, using it for goofy things. And uh, this is from the center square. Uh, Governor Polis has, uh, has asked his staff to ask newspapers to unpublish a story on new taxpayer-funded state office. It says he'd asked editors of two Colorado newspapers to unpublish a news story by the center square that raised the question of the cost of a new office that Polis created and included a comment from a Senate GOP spokesperson criticizing the fact that it was the third new office created this year. One editor refused the request from the governor's office. The second editor temporarily removed the story from the newspaper's website before asking Polis Press Secretary Connor Cahill if there were any errors in it. Cahill did not answer the question, and the editor republished the story to the newspaper's website. The governor's office did not alert the center square to any errors in the September 4th story. The headline, Polis Creates Office of Future Work, which the, was the third new taxpayer-funded office this year. And uh, a nonprofit partisan news media outlet, the Center Square, covers state government and statewide issues in Colorado and state, 17 other states with a focus on government taxing and spending. And it allows other news media to publish its stories. I was trying to find the names of the other two, and I can only find the name of uh, one other, and that is the Office of Saving People Money on Health Care. So let's get this right. We're going to have another government bureaucratic office to uh, be the Office of Future Work and the Office of Saving People Money on Health Care. Those are two things that if we actually let the free market and capitalism in its pure form work, you would not need to have government offices for that. And the, uh, the lack of transparency to try to put pressure on these newspapers to pull these stories, this is not a good thing, Producer Steve. Okay, and the other one uh, we were talking before we went on the air, uh, the names of these offices or the titles and their function. I remember there was another one uh, regarding air quality, and there was like a panel of 12 people. So Yes, and, and expanded it to 24. Oh. I think it was the Air Quality Control Council. And, uh, you know, that's one of the things the press, freedom of the press, is supposed to be a watchdog on what is going on in government so that everyday hardworking people out there, you know, know that we've got eyes on the process. And this is like, this is like a uh, banana republic to have uh, public officials uh, put pressure on media outlets to not run stories. Uh, the lack of transparency is, is very concerning, and uh, to try to get the cost, Polis would not share what the cost of these offices were going to be. Uh, one of these, um, I think it is the Office of Saving People Money on Healthcare. I mean, does this not sound like it's like out of a, a Saturday Night Live skit? I mean, I can't believe it, Steve. Well, you used the word that we're caught up in uh, whatever that phrase you used uh, when you first started down this road. It's like, yeah, we're, we're caught up in it, and we're stuck in it. We are stuck in it. And, you know, we, they continue to tout that Colorado has such a great economy. And one of the reasons is because we have Tabor, the Taxpayer Bill of Rights, and there is such a concerted effort to try to get rid of it. So on this particular ballot that's going to be coming out uh, in just a couple of weeks, uh, it will be um, Proposition CC, which uh, basically 
is giving the government all of our ex- our tax refunds forever. Now, you may want to give the uh, state of Colorado your, your tax refunds. Fine. Go ahead and just send them a check or tell them to keep it. But it's not right for you to speak about that for, for your neighbors and for our next generation. Uh, there's something really, um, I think, immoral about that, Steve. Well, I mean, I, I hate to get all really basic and fundamental on you, maybe too elementary here, but back to these offices. They Once they're created, obviously there's the cost in doing the business that they do, but obviously, you know, the panels, the uh the number of people involved, and surely they're going to be drawing a salary. And for the governor to come back and, and kind of refuse to answer questions regarding what is the actual cost to the taxpayer, you got to start scratching your head there and saying, "Okay, you're 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 painting a picture here that the well is is very deep and and almost infinite, and it's not." It is not. And uh, so that money is going to be either in people's pocket or the uh, the state of Colorado is going to take that money and create this kind of stuff. And so once again, when you look at Proposition, Proposition CC, you know, what you hear all the time, there's not enough money, there's not enough money. And then we see them creating these crazy offices. Speaking of not enough money, I think that it may be time that we no longer fund higher education with taxpayer dollars. Did you see what happened there at Colorado State University? Uh, Steve, uh, President Joyce McConnell sent an email last Friday to the entire CSU student body in which she compared Charlie Kirk and his organization, Turning Point USA, to blackface and a swastika. We know you are angry, frustrated, tired, and sad about these events on campus. We are taking swift action, said the CSU President McConnell in an email addressed to all students, faculty, and staff, which was obtained by Breitbart News. McConnell's email was initially addressing a recent incident in which CSU students were reported to have worn blackface, commonly seen in resurfaced photos of left-wing politicians like Justin Trudeau, as well as in regards to a swastika that was allegedly found drawn on a university apartment building. I cannot believe that they are going to blame this kind of stuff on Charlie Kirk with Turning Point USA and that they are trying to shut down voices up at CSU. And I think it may be time that we take a a strong look at uh, uh, what these... um, college professors, what these college presidents are making. Uh, Joyce McConnell, I, I know that Patty has it. Uh, I don't think I have time to find it, but she is making well over a half million dollars when uh, you look at all of the uh, salary and benefits. I think it's significantly more, but I can safely say half million dollars. And they're trying to shut down free speech, Steve. It's unconscionable. Another great example of how tolerance is not a two-way street. You got it there, and uh, that is the th- that's important. When somebody says tolerant and inclusive, and that is their mantra, they are anything but that. But uh, we're going to go to break. When we come back, Karen Levine is in studio. We're going to talk about housing, and is affordable housing and housing that is affordable the same thing? We'll be right back. At Hooters, you can watch the games with all your buddies. And when your buddies are the world-famous Hooters girls, there's always plenty of ice-cold beer and those craveable wings that'll knock your taste buds into next Tuesday. Hooters girls know plenty about football, but we really know the fans who live for it. So hang out with all your buddies all season long at Hooters, your official hangout for game day. 
Catch all the games at Hooters and enjoy a butter Bud Light draft with 10 boneless wings, just $10. Dine for two with the pitcher and nachos, just $20. You want to succeed, so you need to dress for the job, event, or relationship that you seek. For over 30 years, entrepreneur, stylist, and Americhick Kim Munson has been helping women look their very best. And guys, Kim can help you with made-to-measure shirts that fit great and you'll love to wear. Guys and gals, if you want to up your game and freshen your look, email Kim at Americhicks.com for your initial style consult. Kim at Americhicks.com. Social media is important to the Americhicks since it's an avenue we can utilize to hear from and speak to all of our friends. For those of you who enjoy listening to the show, we'd love to hear what's on your radar. Follow us and talk to us at Americhicks Twitter and Facebook pages. Also, if you're a business owner who could benefit from some extra foot traffic from like-minded friends, consider advertising on the Americhicks radio show. Contact us at Americhicks.com or email Kim at Americhicks.com. Welcome back. I'm Kim Munson, and let's have a conversation with Karen Levine. Karen is an award-winning realtor with Remax Alliance. You are. We've been friends for a long time. We have. And you are a valued uh, partner as well. So thank you. It's great to have you here. It's great to be here. I always love our conversations. And we'll be talking with Randall O'Toole in segments three and four, and uh, that'll be great as well. That should be really fascinating. And um, I have, I think, some challenging questions for him. Yes. You and I were talking about it last time he was on. I was like, well, let's get him on and ask him that. So Exactly. So, but you keep uh, uh, an eye on what's happening in the housing market in the metro area. And the latest reports have just come out, haven't they, Karen? They have. Um, The Colorado Association of Realtors has a research committee of which I sit on. Um, I'm a spokesperson for the statewide and metro um, statistics. And those statistics came out, oh, about 10 days ago, I think, um, maybe not quite two weeks ago, but the reports are out, um, and they can be accessed at the Colorado Association of Realtors website. Um, but I have them here in front of me and found some fascinating data of what's been happening over the last 30 days, but more importantly, what's been happening in 2019 and the last 90, 120 days. I'm seeing some interesting, um, I think, trends potentially. Okay. Um, we hear on the media, um, they only, of course, tell us part of the story, um, but, you know, that the Real estate market in Colorado, the real estate market along the Front Range, the Metro Denver area is changing. And um, that is true, but it is changing, I would say, in a healthy perspective. Um, We've had great interest rates um, throughout this year. Um, It was predicted that rates would increase um, over 2019 based on the GDP, things going nationally, et cetera, et cetera. Um, We found interest rates dipped um, about 14 days ago, three weeks ago, Um, and then they sort of skyrocketed, but we wouldn't say that because they went from four with all your closing costs being paid to maybe four and a quarter. So it was a quarter dip or a quarter increase. Um, Recently, the um, Fed reduced the um, prime interest rate by a quarter point. So we're kind of looking at the mortgage market to see how that's going to shake out. Generally, it's interesting that you would think if the prime were reduced, mortgages would reduce. That is generally not the case. You kind of see an increase, and I guess the jobs report came out last week as well. 
And we're going to see how that's going to affect interest rates. So it's a little vulnerable, maybe. Yeah, um, I, I would think there would be a direct correlation. Mm-hmm. But there isn't because I guess I hadn't thought about it that they take in other, thi- uh, other factors as well. Exactly, okay. exactly. So when we look at the August statistics um, and we look at the total overview in the metropolitan area, what was fascinating to me is just a slight increase in new listings on the market from August of 2018 to August of 2019. It was about 2%. Our inventory um, in the marketplace is down about 5%. So here we are talking about inventories increasing, inventories increasing, inventories increasing, and yet we saw a decline of 5% from August of 2018 to August of 2019, which is fascinating. The number that I have been watching over these last 90 to 120 days is the under contract number, which is homes go on the market, the seller accepts an offer from a um, willing, able buyer, they reach an agreement, and the house is taken off the market because it's under contract and going through what many states call the escrow process. And that number in August is up 18.7%. Okay. That's pretty significant. We went from 6,100 units in August of 18 being under contract to 70, almost 7,300 units. But the fascination to me is, shouldn't the solds then reflect an increase? One would think so. One would think so. But the last 90 days, 120 days, we've seen either a decline or a minimal increase. And we had 2% less solds, properties that sold and closed, the seller walked away with their proceeds, went to buy their next house or, you know, Whatever go on they're... vacation. And um, the new home buyer took occupancy and that's down 2%. So I'm trying to speculate what's going on in the marketplace. And I think what we're seeing is houses are not going under contract on the first weekend that they're on the market. We saw that frenzy mm-hmm. um, for the last three to four years and that started to settle down last fall. And we're continuing to see that trend. So sellers are being more open to accepting what were typical contingencies in a general market, in a what we would call a balanced market. Um, And those contingencies are the sale of another property. If you have a home in Metro Denver that you're selling in the 600s, typically the buyer for that home is going to have a home to sell because this is a move-up property for them. Um, We're seeing that... Maybe they'll take a longer closing time. Um, People aren't in such a rush. You know, they want a little more time to make decisions, et cetera, et cetera. We're seeing buyers are being very particular about what they're choosing because they have more choices. Um, The house isn't gone the first weekend, so they can maybe wait a couple more weekends. Mm -hmm. So with that said, um, I'm anxious to see how the solds continue to trend um, as we go into the fourth quarter. And I'm guessing they're going to pick up a bit. We'll see some increases, hopefully, because of the under contracts. But in respect to that, what's probably happening is with some of these contingencies that sellers are willing to take, um, it's causing the home to come back on the market. Those are not being met. And so houses are kind of getting recycled. They go under contract, they come back on the market, which is helping propel um, that inventory situation. Okay. So we have just a few minutes. How about the individuals out there? If they're going to buy or or sell their home, I guess for a buyer right now, what would you say to them? I think buyers need to still be very diligent in getting pre-approved for their mortgages. 
They need to um, partner with a professional realtor, and that would be somebody who aspires to the National Association of Realtors Code of Ethics, and they are a member of that association. They are different from a real estate licensee. I am a realtor, and I am a national director um, for that association. Um, but we bring to the table generally more education, generally more experience, and definitely um, we adhere to the Code of Ethics, which is great. Okay, a seller. What are you saying to your sellers right now? Sellers, be sensitive about pricing. The data is um, somewhat speculative. It's kind of all over the board. And you need somebody who's in that marketplace day in and day out to give you good professional advice of where to price your home. Because as we know, the longer your home sits on a market, on the market, the less perception of value it has. And what we also have seen is sellers are like, well, I'm not in a hurry. Well, you may not be in a hurry, but if you price it too high to start with, you're going to walk away with less than if you had priced mm-hmm. it appropriately on the front end. Because there's this perception. You, people, you see people take a look at how long has that property been on the market, and it creates a perception. So Something must be wrong. Yeah, so to that point, you want to work with a realtor like you mm-hmm. that can help you get that priced correctly so that, uh, so, so that the deal gets done, you know, both sides walk away, and everybody's happy. Exactly. Okay. And if people would like to reach out to you, 303-877-7516 is your phone number, 303-877-7516. And uh, you are really a valued partner. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me today. Yeah, and we're going to go to break. And yeah. when we come back, we'll be talking with Randall O'Toole. Uh, many of you know him. He is uh, the Director of Transportation Policy at the Independence Institute, a senior fellow at the Cato Institute, and he has an, a very important blog, The Anti-Planner. And so this is Kim Munson. Karen Levine is in studio, and we'll be right back. Hey, before we go to break, Jason McBride, Presidential Wealth Management, is on the line. And, Jason, a home can be a big part of a person's portfolio. What, what's your thoughts about that? Well, I think it's great. You know, Kim, I've always been one that uh, that likes the thought of being debt-free and having a fully paid-off house. Uh, I think that takes a lot of pressure off once you are in retirement to have less people sticking their hand out wanting money every month. Uh, but, you know, sometimes you I run into to folks that that have most everything in the house, uh, not a lot of other investments out there to create income, and in some ways they feel a little bit uh, stuck. Do you know what I mean? I do. So, you know, I know it, it, it may sound a little bit radical, but we've been very fortunate here, uh, especially in the Denver area, with a, a pretty strong increase in real estate prices over the last few years. Um, recently, we've seen the interest rates come down again, and rates on mortgages are at one of the lowest we've seen for many, many years. And when you have cheaper money like that, that contributes to driving up the price of homes. So, you know, uh, Kim, I know it sounds, maybe it sounds a little bit radical, but if you're looking at your kind of overall retirement plan, uh, and you've got tons tied up in a great big house that you don't need all that space anymore, uh, it, it may make sense to think about uh, downsizing. And a lot of people talk about doing it, but, uh, 
you know, maybe the time is now. I mean, the market is strong. We don't know how much longer that's going to last. And sometimes I just think you've got to make a big move and take advantage of what's kind of being put on your plate. Uh, You can't depend that those conditions are still going to exist necessarily uh, five or ten years from now. Well, so I think what people should do is um, give you a call or check out chickspresidential.com and do a discovery session. And if people decide that they may want to downsize, of course, call Karen Levine at 303-877-7516. But you've got a number of tools also that people could use, like Lauren Levy with a a potential reverse mortgage. And so I think people should uh, reach out with you and do a discovery session and take a look at all their assets so that they can plan for the future and sleep well at night, Jason McBride. Well, I think that's what we try to help folks do. And, uh, you know, it's funny, Kim, everybody's situation is different. Uh, The situation of having most of your uh, net worth or assets tied up in your home is just one of those situations that sometimes we need to figure out how to work around. Well, and so sit down with you with the discovery session. You look at everything, Jason McBride. Thank you so much. Check out chickspresidential.com. That's chickspresidential.com. And uh, also you can give uh, Jason a call over at 303-694-1600, 303-694-1600. But wait till 730. Natalie's not at the boards until then. So, Jason, thanks so much. We'll talk to you tomorrow. All right. Have a great show, Kim. Are you looking for news, not propaganda? Ready for a news source you can actually trust? How about a news site that doesn't want to sell you a subscription? Visit CompleteColorado.com to see all the latest news from around Colorado. Complete Colorado's staff scours news sources from around the state and nation to bring you only the top stories that affect you right here in our great state. Updated three times a day, CompleteColorado.com has full-time reporters doing original investigations and reporting like newspapers used to do, as well as opinion and political commentary from a variety of Colorado voices. And CompleteColorado.com is the only place to read columnist Mike Rosen. Always fresh content, always free, always informed. CompleteColorado.com, your complete source for Colorado news. Don't miss Vino and Veritas, Wine and Truth, a study of the Federalist Papers. Join Kim Munson at Water's Edge Winery in Centennial or Colorado Cork and Keg in Castle Rock. In Fort Collins, attend Vino and Veritas at Ginger and Baker. Kim Munson would like to thank Presidential Wealth Management Loveland, Presidential Wealth Management Greenwood Village, Tina Francone with Straightforward Shooting, and Grand Lake U.S. Constitution Week for their generous support. Vino and Veritas, Wine and Truth, a study of the Federalist Papers. Sign up today. All AmeriChick sponsors are an exclusive partnership with the AmeriChicks and are not affiliated or in partnership with KLZ or Crawford Broadcasting. If you would like to support the work of the AmeriChicks with Kim Munson and grow your business, contact Kim at AmeriChicks.com. That's AmeriChicks.com. Hey, welcome back. I am Kim Munson, and we are having a conversation with a valued partner, Karen Levine, award-winning REMAX Alliance Realtor. It's great to have you here. It's great to be here. 
And uh, on the line, we have Randall O'Toole. He is the Director of Transportation Policy at the Independence Institute, as well as a senior fellow with the Cato Institute, uh, very thorough researcher. Uh, you can find uh, many, many of your commentaries at, what is your website, Randall? Uh, my website is called The Anti-Planner. Uh, just Google Anti-Planner, and I'm the first thing on the list. Fantastic, and uh, really important research there. So, Randall O'Toole, welcome to the show. It's great to have you. Glad to be here. Okay, you are an expert on transportation, urban planning, uh, as well as housing, and uh, we want to talk about housing. Last time you were on, uh, we had a, a very important conversation about housing, about how PBIs, I'm calling them, politicians, bureaucrats, and interested parties, are working to control housing, in my view. Uh, but Karen, you had a really interesting question, and, and go ahead and why don't you set that up regarding, uh, Randall, I think that you had said many times your single-family neighborhoods are safer than other neighborhoods, and Karen, you had a question on that. Yeah, um, what I'm finding in our marketplace here in um, the Denver metro area is that we are an aging populace, and um, many of my clients are looking to sell that single-family home where they raise their family and move into a um, property, an ownership property, um, that provides them preferably one-level living and where the exterior maintenance and yard care is taken care of through, in most cases, a homeowner's association. Um, that product could be a patio home, a townhome, or a condominium. Um, we're finding in our marketplace um, a shortage of that product, but also a shortage of that product um, at an affordable price. Um, so I think our conversation was that single-family housing is safer and that it is preferred um, by most Americans, but yet I'm finding that they want to get out of that environment for convenience sake. So I'd love your take on it, Randall. Well, single-family housing is both safer and less expensive, and that's one of the reasons why it's preferred. You know, back in the 1950s, the federal government built a bunch of low-income housing, and some of it was low-rise single-family housing, and some of it was high-rise multifamily housing. And within a little more than a decade, they figured out that the high-rise multifamily housing was unlivable. Even if they gave it away, nobody wanted to live in it, and so they ended up tearing it down. And an architect named Oscar Newman asked, well, why was it that the high-rise housing didn't work when the low-rise housing that was occupied by the same kind of people, same people, income class, uh, uh, worked just fine? And so he did a study of thousands and thousands of city blocks, and he looked at the uh, uh, architectural characteristics of those blocks, and he looked at the crime rates on those blocks. And what he found was that... When you have a lot of private land, you know, private yards, uh, private homes, uh, with only one, preferably only one entrance, you know, a, a front entrance but no alley in the back or something like that, then it was very safe. And it was safe because if, if you saw somebody walking across somebody's property, you could real, recognize really quickly whether they belonged there or not by whether they lived there or not. Whereas with the multifamily housing, there was a lot of common areas. The, the yard around the, the building was common. The hallways in the building were common. The lot lobbies were common and so on. And so nobody knew if they saw somebody walking in one of these common areas, whether they lived there or whether they're a potential burglar 
or, or a mugger or something like that. And so there was no way to uh, prevent crime in the area. So those, the multifamily areas had a lot more crime. Now, upscale multifamily dwellings can avoid this by having, uh, uh, first of all, locked doors on all the outside entrances, and second of all, it helps if you've got somebody at the doors, a guard there or a doorman, uh, monitoring who goes in and out. So upscale uh, can avoid that, but uh, low-income multifamily housing has a real problem today. The other thing is that it costs a lot more to build build multi-story housing. Four to five stories costs twice as much per square foot as, as single-story or two-story buildings. Three stories cost 50% more than two-story buildings per square foot. And if you get into high-rise, you're getting into five, six, seven times as much per square foot. So uh, if, if you're complaining that your clients can't find affordable multifamily housing, it's because the city is building a lot of four- and five- and six-story buildings when really affordable multifamily housing has to be two stories tall or less uh, if you want it to be affordable. Otherwise, you're going to have to heavily subsidize it, and that's not really what your clientele is looking for. Well, it's interesting. In the metro Denver and throughout the Colorado region, um, we don't have very much ownership multifamily housing. So it's not a cost problem. It's a, um, a supply problem. And the reason we don't have multifamily is because of a um, law that was passed known as construction defects that precludes developers um, from wanting to come into our marketplace because of the cost of errors and admissions insurance, which again relates to what you said, the cost is higher. Um, so I find that interesting. What would be a question I would have with regards to that set, that study on crime, when they looked at those units, both the single family and the multifamily, were those ownership units or were those rental-type units? Well, the, the ones that he looked at were mostly rental-type units, both of the single family and the multifamily, but his work has been replicated uh, on literally hundreds of thousands of city blocks in studies all over the world, uh, looking at both ownership and uh, rented units. And whether it's owned or rented doesn't seem to be the factor. Uh, the, there are other factors, uh, the, the, but the main two factors are having multiple entrances. Mm -hmm. So if you have alleys behind uh, or parking areas where people can get in through several entrances, that's one of the problems, and the other problem is having lots of common areas. So those are the two biggest factors he found. And ironically, uh, pretty much everything that the urban planners want is to will make our neighborhoods less safe. And another factor he found, uh, relating to multiple entrances, it applies not just to the building but to the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. So if you have a lot of cul-de-sacs, that makes your neighborhood safer because it means there are fewer getaway routes for burglars. But if you have a gridded street network, uh, it makes for multiple getaway routes. And so one way to make a neighborhood with on a gridded street safer is to put in a lot of uh, barriers to make it difficult to leave, you know, essentially little cul-de-sacs. And ironically, the urban planners think cul-de-sacs are awful. They think that gridded streets are the right way to go. So it seems like urban planners have 
hit upon all the ways of making our neighborhoods less safe and decided that that's the way neighborhoods should be built, and, and, and they want to mandate that. Well, and Randall, when we're talking about common areas, when you listen to uh, some of the Democrat presidential candidates, uh, and again, you see this in the, throughout the planning community as well, is, you know, this push to four- and five-story apartment buildings here in Colorado, and then as uh, then they say, and, and a a park within walking distance. But, you know, I go by a lot of parks and people are there. But, uh, you know, as far as many times sending your child down to the park just by themselves, you don't feel that that is as safe as letting them play in the backyard. Mm. And uh, so we're seeing, though, this movement for people into these high rises, but yet we'll have a park over here. Well, that seems less safe to me as well. Your comments, Randall. Well, you know, people complain about um, low density development, but as you say, everybody in a single family neighborhood has a park within walking distance. It's their backyard, and those backyards become uh, important for uh, children, for pets, for uh, entertaining, for all sorts of things, and uh, gardening, whatever. Uh, and so, taking away those parks. Uh, is taking away an important part uh, of our lifestyles. The, the urban planners uh, who have written plans for Denver and Portland and Seattle and uh, most California cities have essentially written the plans to say, we're going to reduce the percentage of people who live in single-family homes. And we're going to do that by driving up the cost of single-family homes. And uh, to me, that's unconscionable. That's uh, why are they trying to change American lifestyles? Uh, there's, there's really no environmental benefit to doing that. There's a huge cost problem. They're, they're deliberately making housing unaffordable. And then they blame single-family homeowners for not wanting apartments built in their neighborhoods, and they try to get rid of single-family zoning to make uh, even less single-family housing available. Randall, that is uh, so interesting that you would say that because on two different occasions I've had listeners reach out to me where uh, in single-family neighborhoods there's uh, developers working in concert with politicians, bureaucrats, and interested parties to use rezoning to put in four- or five- six, uh, or six-story apartment buildings in these, uh, in these neighborhoods. And people are pushing back, but as I read Blueprint Denver – it uh, continues to talk about using the rezoning laws uh, or rezoning rules to change these neighborhoods to the way these planners want it instead of the way people want it. So, But let's go to break. When we come back, I think we pretty well answered that question, right, mm-hmm. Karen? Uh, when we come back, let's talk about urban sprawl. That word sprawl seems to have a, a negative connotation. However... You know, people like single-family homes, so I would like to hear how you address that, Randall. And so this is Kim Munson. Karen Levine is in studio. Randall O'Toole is on the line, and we'll be right back. Award-winning realtor Karen Levine has 30 years of experience with REMAX Alliance. As a director with the National Association of Realtors, Karen Levine works to protect private property rights. Karen Levine believes in homeownership. Because of Karen's love of dogs, Karen volunteers with GER, Golden Retriever Rescue of the Rockies, helping Golden Retrievers find their forever homes. Choose Karen Levine to buy or sell your home because she understands that it's more than just a house. 
Karen Levine comes highly recommended by Kim Munson. Call award-winning realtor Karen Levine with Remax Alliance today at 303-877-7516. That's 303-877-7516. This week at the 88 Drive-In Theater, enjoy three scary movies under the stars, all for only $9. It, It, Chapter 2, and Scary Stories. Admission includes all three features. Monday through Thursday, don't forget the very popular pizza special. And new on the menu, try a churro with a cup of hot cocoa. The 88 Drive-In Theater is open every night of the week, so get directions now at the 88 Drive-In Facebook page or 88drivein.net. Hey, welcome back. I am Kim Munson, and let's have a conversation with Karen Levine, award-winning realtor with REMAX Alliance and valued partner. Thank you very much for having me. And if people want to reach you, 303-877-7516. That's 303-877-7516. And we have on the line with us Randall O'Toole. It is always a great conversation with you, Randall O'Toole. You are the Director of Transportation Policy with the Independence Institute as well as a senior fellow with the, the Cato Institute, and people can find your writings and by Googling the anti-planner. Do I have all that right, Randall? That's right. Okay. Next question. Uh, you're, you're an expert on transportation, urban planning, housing, and Karen and I were having a conversation about sprawl, and the planners do not like sprawl. Sprawl doesn't sound like a good word. How would you address that? Well, what planners call sprawl is basically uh, uh, single-family housing, which about two-thirds of Americans live in, and about 80% of Americans want to live in. So, yes, there are some people who want to live in multifamily, but more people want to live in single-family than we actually have single-family housing for. And single-family housing, low-density development, is the answer to a lot of urban problems. Uh, one of the problems is traffic congestion. Well, when you have low densities, you don't have congestion. Congestion happens at high densities. Uh, another problem that it answers is affordable housing. Low-density housing costs less than high-density housing. Uh, if land in this country is extraordinarily cheap, all the urban areas in this country only add up to about 3% of the land area of the country. So we have a huge amount of land available. Uh, so land is practically free, and then uh, building low-density homes, it costs a lot less to build a one- or two-story home than to build three- or four- or five-story buildings because you need a lot more concrete and steel and other uh, structural materials in the higher buildings. So you've got cheap land if you're building at the urban fringe, and you've got cheap construction methods. Low-density housing is affordable housing. So the urban planners don't like it for a variety of reasons, but I think most of them are uh, based on deep-seated prejudices against certain uh, people having certain lifestyles. And basically it's a question of middle class versus working class. Uh, the middle class people don't think the working class people should be able to do things the way that the middle class people themselves want to do things. So you see urban planners who live on a quarter acre or half acre lot saying to other people, 
we should force more people to live in high-density housing, and they mean working-class people. So you have this bigotry against the working class, and they're saying uh, we need to get more high-density housing. So they write plans that, well, Portland has a plan that was written in 1996. At that time, 65% of Portlanders lived in single-family housing, and they wanted to reduce it by the year 2040 to 40%. So 25% of Portlanders, under their plan, would be forced to live in multifamily housing, even if they preferred to live in single-family. And it's not just Portland. It's San Francisco. It's Denver. It's Seattle. Uh, places all over the country are writing plans like this in an effort to stop urban sprawl. Now, the Russians say that Americans don't have real problems, and so they have to make them up. <laughs> urban sprawl is one of those made-up problems. It's actually the solution. It's not the problem. Okay. Is anything else on that, Karen, do you think? Well, I have a question. So I understand the... Um the concept of single-family homes and, and the urban sprawl conversation. But then the big question for me is um, job opportunity. And um, you talked about that it doesn't take more resources if, if you live outside an urban area and that it does reduce traffic, et cetera, et cetera, but it increases. Does it not increase time? Does it not increase consumption of resources? Um, I use um, Elizabeth as an example um, we were having a conversation with those city council people as well as Castle Rock, and they're both really bedroom communities. They don't have an economy to support the people that live there, so those people are either going to Colorado Springs or Denver. So I'm like, well, if we sprawl out, how, how do we have economics, job opportunities, um, and amenities, you know, those type of things to support those communities? Well, the... The strange thing about history is we, we, we imagine that people moved out to the suburbs and that they're all driving downtown to get to work. The reality is that the jobs left downtowns and went out to the suburbs before the people did. And the people moved out and followed the jobs. Today, most commuters go from a one suburb to another suburb. They don't commute from suburbs to downtown. And they don't commute from downtown to the suburbs. They commute from suburb to suburb. Why do they commute from suburb to suburb instead of commuting within their own suburb? Well, there's lots of reasons. One is that you might have two earner families and they have different jobs in different locations. But really the most important reason is people apparently like to separate their job from their home life. They like to have a insulation between it. And, and living about 20 minutes away from work provides that insulation. You can psych yourself up for work on your way to work. You can cool yourself down, calm down on your way home from work by not living right next to your work. So uh, urban planners say, well, we need to have a jobs-housing balance with jobs in every community to balance the people who live there. And you look at cities that have a jobs-housing balance, and it turns out the people who are working in various communities aren't the ones who are living there. They're all commuting from another community, and the ones who are living there are commuting to another community. And uh, there doesn't seem to be any way around this, or really any need to get around this. The fact is we have this amazing transportation system, and it allows us to get to a lot of different places really fast, and it's called the automobile. Uh, uh, most studies, are, there's a... Uh, uh, 
the University of Minnesota has published a study called Access America, and they show, show that in most urban areas, you can reach far more jobs in a 20-minute auto drive than you can in a 60-minute transit ride. So automobiles are really the way to get to work. And what are people in Castle Rock going to do? Well, some of them are going to work at the Denver Tech Center, which is uh, really the first big concentration of jobs that's nearest to them. But a lot of them aren't, aren't going to work in, a con in an area of concentrated jobs. If you look at jobs in, in the Denver area, you'll find you've got a concentration downtown that's maybe 6 or 7% of all the jobs in the region. And then you've got the Denver Tech Center, the second biggest concentration, maybe 4 or 5% of jobs. And then all the rest of the jobs are finely spread across the landscape. They're not concentrated at all. And it's really hard to serve those lack, you know, unconcentrated jobs uh, with mass transit, but it's really easy to serve them with automobiles and, and roads. Hmm. Okay. Fascinating. Okay. Now, we have just about four minutes, so this is going to be a speed question for you, Randall. And that is, uh, Karen and I were talking about the haves and the have-nots. Uh, you know, and, and many of the planners say, well, you know, we need to build affordable housing uh, for, quote-unquote, the have-nots. How would you address that? Well, the first thing is to ask, well, why is housing unaffordable in the first place? And the reason is urban planners, thank you very much. They have drawn an urban growth boundary around the Denver area, uh, and then uh, in Boulder, they bought all the, the land that could be developed and or bought conservation easements, so they've got a green belt around Boulder, and Golden is doing the same thing. So you're making it land really expensive with all that, and then you're trying to zone as much land as you can for multifamily, mid-rise developments, and that's really expensive. So they have made housing unaffordable, and then they say, okay, well, the solution is to uh, have affordable housing. Affordable housing is different from housing affordability. Affordable housing is where we all take our dollars, either tax dollars or charitable dollars, and pool them and build a housing for a handful of low-income people and, and give it to them for less than cost. Housing affordability is what is the affordability of housing for everyone in the area. And if you make housing unaffordable for everyone, which Denver's Urban Growth Boundary has done, then you're especially going to make it unaffordable for low-income people. But you aren't going to solve that problem with affordable housing. The way to solve that problem is to abolish the urban growth boundary and preferably abolish urban planners. Okay, and one other thing, when you were on recently, you said that in the Denver metro area, 50% of the cost of new housing it goes to rules and regulations. Well, that's essentially it. Denver area housing costs 50% more than in places that are relatively unregulated, and by that I mean Texas. Uh, Texas counties aren't allowed to zone, and so cities don't zone very strictly, with the exception of Austin, because they're afraid of losing development to the suburbs. So you have a very minimally restrictive environment, and, and as I say, Denver housing costs 50% more, so you can attribute that to the urban growth boundary and to other rules and regulations. Fortunately, Denver isn't as bad as Seattle, which is twice as expensive as Texas communities, or San Francisco, which is four times as expensive, but it's getting there. Uh, Boulder already is there. Boulder is the most expensive city in the country that isn't in a coastal state. Uh, hmm. And uh, 
Denver is, is, is aspiring to be as bad as Boulder. Wow. So, uh, Randall, uh, thank you so much. Uh, any other questions? No, Karen? this is really helpful. I appreciate your um, expertise. So, Randall O'Toole, uh, Director of Transportation Policy with the Independence Institute, Senior Fellow at the Cato Institute, and you can find him at the Anti-Planner. Randall O'Toole, thank you so much. Thank you. And Karen Levine, thank you so much as well. It's always great to have you in studio, and uh, people can reach you. You are a REMAX Alliance uh, award-winning realtor, and that phone number is 303-877-7516, 303-877-7516. So, Karen, it's always great to have you here. Thanks for having me. Okay. And our quote for today is from T.S. Eliot, who says, Home is where one starts from. So today, read great books, think good thoughts, listen to beautiful music, communicate and listen well, live honestly and authentically, strive for high ideals, and like Superman, stand for truth, justice, and the American way. This is Kim Munson signing off. God bless you, and God bless America.